0: We're listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our passage today is from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, for if you knew me, you would know my father also these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Church, uh, I'm Pastor Joey. It's, I'm excited to be up here to, to get to share from John 8 with you, as you just heard Pastor Jeff read. You know, if you're a, a parent like me or um, if you were ever a child Uh, like I was at one point, you've probably heard these words a thousand times. Mom, Dad, can you leave a light on? How many of you went to bed with a a nightlight on every night when you were a kid? Yes? Anybody who's willing to admit? Okay, how many of you have not yet grown out of that? You're still, you need to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some of you came to nightlights later in life, it looks like. Yeah, it's funny, like, there, there's, a, there's a thing in all of us, we go through this phase where uh, to feel comfortable, to feel safe in the dark, we want a light. We want to turn on some sort of light. Even a, a small little light uh, is, is enough for us to feel safe, uh, to feel comforted. Of course, most of us, um, we start to hit that phase where, like, pride wells up and we're like, well, I... I'm an, I'm an adult now. I don't, I don't need a, a nightlight. There's nothing to be scared of in the dark, right? We, we tell ourselves we don't need that, that light anymore. Of course, then you come home after dark and you walk into a dark house and you're like, this feels weird. Turn on the lights. Quick, somebody turn on a light. Or, or you're at home and the power just goes out. Nothing. No lights. Not even the ambient glow of the microwave clock anymore. Like, everything's out. What do you do? You get a light. You go find a candle. You find a flashlight. You light a light. We all want light, especially when we find ourselves in a dark that we can't explain or can't navigate without a little bit of light. In this series we're going through all of the i am statements in john we're reading these these times where jesus says something like i am the bread of life i am the gate i am the good shepherd i am the way the truth and the life i am the vine you know jesus says these i am statements and we're going through all of these with this question in the back of our minds what do you want what, what do we want because in each of these statements, Jesus sort of peels back the layers of our hearts to expose our deepest wants, our, our desires, something that we're longing for that we can only find in Him, ultimately in Him. So this week, we're, we're in John 8. You just heard it read. Jesus says, I am the light, the light of the world. So we've got a question before ourselves this morning. What do I want when I want light? What do I want when I want to see, to be illuminated, to have my circumstances illuminated? What do I want when I want light? And as we go through this story, verses 12 through 20, we'll spend most of our time in verse 12, but as, as we go through this story, I think it's become clear over and over again that there is a light that we all want that is unlike any other light. There's no light like the light of life. If you're writing anything down, write that down. It's up on the screen so you can even spell it correctly. There's no light like the light of life, and it's that light that our hearts are drawn to that we desire. So, as we go through this passage, this will become more clear, Uh, because there's a very clear claim that Jesus makes about Himself in this passage. He claims something to be true about Himself, and then He backs that up with a promise. In light of that claim, here's what I can promise to you, and then there's a a command, more of an implied, implicit command, a, a, a choice that we have to make that we're going to walk through, a claim, a promise, and a command that will all help us answer this question, what do we want when we want light? So let's jump in, John 8. If you haven't turned there already, John 8, verse 12, we're going to pick up this story. And it's a continuation of what is, has already been happening. Uh, John describes it for us. Again, Jesus spoke to them, the crowds in the temple. Uh, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. That's the claim. You saw it coming. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And of course, there's more after that. We'll come back to that in a bit. For now, I just want to focus on that claim. I am the light. Because this story takes place right at the end of one of the biggest feast weeks in the Jewish calendar. It's sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tents. If you were driving up and down Meridian in the last couple of weeks, you saw the Indianapolis Hebrew congregation had tents out front. That's because it's a feast that is still celebrated to this day. At at Jesus' time, Jews from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem to live in tents for a week. It was like a camping vacation, uh, but with a purpose to remember that God had led them through the wilderness for 40 years. They had had to dwell in tents as they followed God's leading, His leading in that pillar of fire. So, they come, they have this feast to remind them, you know, 40 years we had to live in tents or booths or tabernacles, whatever you call it. And this feast, by the way, Uh, this was the one you wanted to go to if you liked a party, right? There were others that were more important. The Day of Atonement, of course, was more important in the year. But the Feast of Tabernacles, now that's the one where people came because they wanted to have a good time. Uh, A contemporary Jewish writer described it at the same time as Jesus, saying, anyone who has not seen the rejoicing of the candle lighting ceremony has never seen rejoicing. In other words, there was no party like a Feast of Booths party, all right. This was the one you wanted to go to. This was the big one. And light was a major part of the symbolism of the week, uh, pointing back to the pillar of fire that led them through the desert. Of course, water and other things were important as well, but uh, the light was a, was a huge part of this ceremony. Every night, eight nights, These four giant pillars in the temple with these huge golden bowls on top, four ladders, and the four youngest priests would climb up these ladders with these giant pitchers of oil, fill the bowls, and then, (laughs) fun fact, they would use the worn out and, and used undergarments of the priests to make wicks. For the, that's just a little fun fact for you, uh, to make wicks for these bowls and light these four giant bowls of oil on fire. And if, as if that weren't enough, there were 16 candelabra, each with hundreds of candles that were hoisted and lit. And so the, the light that would pour out of the temple every night for these eight nights, it was like a tidal wave. knock you over. Remember, the temple is up on a hill, so everybody can see it. Uh, Another uh, writer said that there was not a single porch or patio in Jerusalem that was not lit from the light of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was light that could just bowl you over and draw you in. But no party lasts forever, unfortunately. No light lasts forever either on the last night, the eighth night, the great day of the feast. The candles are all extinguished. The lights are put out. And the throngs of the faithful walk out of the temple in darkness. And Jesus stands up on that night as the crowds are dispersing and the the temple officials are you know, hanging around congratulating each other on another feast well done, Uh, Jesus stands up and says, right there in the courtyard where everybody was gathered, I'm the light. I am the light of the world that illuminates everything. I'm that light. Now, of course, he's not claiming to be literal light. He's not on fire. He's not a sun. He's not a a candle flame that's burning and lighting things up. He's saying metaphorically, I am the light, the light that we have just celebrated, and the symbol that it has pointed to. He says, I'm that light. See, in the Jewish mind, with the Feast of Tabernacles, that light points back to some very specific things about God, that, that God is present the pillar of fire in the desert, God is present, that God reveals Himself and reveals things about Himself. And, And the light also symbolized God's wisdom, knowing who God is, what He's communicated to us, helps us to live our lives rightly. And so, light symbolized in the Jewish mind, especially at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, light symbolized uh, the presence of God, the revelation of God, the wisdom of God. And Jesus is standing up with the lights extinguished behind him and saying, "I am the light, the light that you were looking for in these last 8 days, that's me. I am the light. And not even just for us, but for the world. I am the light that illuminates and leads and guides and strengthens and comforts." He says, "I'm the light." I'm, I'm the, the presence of God. What, what you are symbolizing up there with the presence of God, that's me right here. Uh, he's, he's saying I am the, the revelation of God. What you want to know about God that you've symbolized in those, those candelabras and those, uh, those bowls, that's me. I'm the revelation of God. I'm the wisdom of God. He's saying I am God. I am the light. That's the claim. Right? So, what do you do with someone who stands up at the end of a party when the lights go out and says, by the way, I myself am the source of all of the world's illumination? As he's standing in the dark. Well, if you're a Jewish leader at Jesus' time, like, this is blasphemy, unless it's true, this is blasphemy. And the law enforcement officials, the religious leaders, the chief priests, they had already gotten together earlier in the day because of something else that Jesus said. And they'd gotten together and said, okay, it's time to shut this guy up. And they they were divided some said well he should be arrested and silenced immediately others said no he at least deserves the right to a fair trial or we should give him a hearing so then the lights go out and they haven't figured out what to do but jesus stands up and he says i am the light of the world i and god are one and they of course have to respond i mean everything they've ever known has taught them that when a human being stands up and says i am god incarnate uh, that's blasphemy the person should be silenced so the Pharisees jump in and try to shut him down. It's in verse 13. You know, the religious leaders, they jump in, they say to him, you're bearing witness about yourself, so your testimony isn't true. Essentially, they're saying, well, that, that, that's all well and good, Jesus, but I mean, remember, you can't just claim to be the transcendent light that illuminates the whole world. You're going to have to have another witness so at least someone else can say this about you instead of you saying this about you. And they're not really disagreeing with him. They're just saying, you're going you're to have to give me another witness if you want me to believe you. And Jesus responds in verse 14. Uh, he answers, look, he, okay, even if I do bear witness about myself, granted your premise that, you know, somebody shouldn't testify on their own behalf because, okay, they might, you know, have some self-interest in play here. He says, well, even if I do bear witness about myself, that doesn't automatically mean what I'm saying isn't true. He says, my testimony is still true because I know me better than you know me. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. You have no idea where I came from. Just look back at chapter 7. They got it all wrong. They thought he was from Galilee. He says, you don't know where I came from. You don't know where I'm going. You can't judge me according to your standards. That's what comes in the next few verses. But I can judge me according to my standards. Jesus says, essentially, I don't need another witness. And, and that's, that's one of the funny things um, about light. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but have you ever walked into a room where the lights were on and walked in and gone, I wonder if the lights are on. I'll check the light switch. Yeah, it's up. It says the lights are on. Guess the lights are on. No, I mean, light testifies to itself, right? Light is the only thing that testifies to itself. It's the only thing in existence that you don't need a second witness to. If there's light, there's light. You know it. Everything else needs to be illuminated by the light in order to testify to its own existence. Like if the chair got up and said, I'm a chair and I'm here. You're like, well, I hear you, but I don't see you unless there's light. But light testifies to itself itself. Uh, One person writing on this passage said, Light always illuminates. It is never itself illuminated. Light is the only thing in the world that doesn't need a second witness in order to testify to itself, to what it is. And Jesus is standing here saying, look, I'm the light of the world, and if you can't see that, that's not a problem with me, that's a problem with you. You don't need another witness, a couple other people around to be like, yeah, I see the light too. No, it's, I'm the light. I'm here. That's all it takes. That's Jesus' claim that He is the light, the light by which everything else is illuminated, the light by which everything else makes sense. He's saying, "I'm, I'm not just a light. I am the light, and there's no light like the light of life. So that's the claim, to be the transcendent light, the source of all light. Now let's move on to the promise. Right, because Jesus doesn't just claim to be the light of the world. He also says that Him being the light of the world comes with certain uh, implications. Things work out for those who follow Him in a certain way, a, a promise. Uh, look back at verse 12 again. Right, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So whoever follows me will, is a promise, not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. It's a, it's a two-part promise. Because if you're following Jesus, you have the light of life. Therefore, having this light, you will be in no darkness. You will never be in darkness. You've, you've got that, that light of life with you. Those who follow Jesus possess, they have, they in a sense, even get to utilize the light the light of life, which makes us wonder, okay, well, what is that light of life? <laughs> and I'll admit, I spent two weeks getting ready for the sermon going, gosh, I wonder what this light of life is, and I went deep into the, the Greek, uh, the, the word of in Greek, like, okay, so it could be the light that brings life. It could be the light that is itself life. It could be the light that illuminates life, until I realized that, no, the light of life is Jesus. Right, He says, if you walk with me, if you follow me, I, you won't be in darkness because you'll have the light of life. If you walk with me, I'll give you me. I'll give you the light of life. John has referred to Jesus this way earlier and after this as the, the light that brings life, the light that gives life. Jesus himself brought life, and life was the light of men. He says, the, the, the light of life that Jesus is offering to give to us if we follow him is himself, His presence, His life, His illumination. It's not some other special knowledge or secret power or divine gift. It's Jesus Himself, the light of life. So He promises, whoever follows Me, I will give to that person Myself, and that person will will never and the Greek is emphatic, it's like stacking up all these negatives, will never, ever, ever, no, never walk in darkness. The person who follows me, to whom I give myself the light of life, they will never, absolutely never walk in darkness. Which means as dark as your world feels right now, because a personal tragedy or family crisis, um, empty bank accounts or joblessness or aimlessness or hopelessness, as, as dark as your world feels right now, there's still no light like the light of life. as dark and difficult as your life feels right now, as you look at the world around you or at your own circumstances, it is not dark because Jesus has abandoned you. Never, never, ever, 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 ever will you walk in darkness. There is always the light of life with you. Jesus has promised You will most certainly, absolutely, without a doubt, have the light of life. You will absolutely, most certainly, without a doubt, have Him. We will never be left in utter darkness. Never left to walk through darkness alone. There is no darkness, Jesus is telling us. There is no darkness that the light of life doesn't walk through with you. There's no darkness that the light of life doesn't at least lighten a little bit. So there's no light like the light of life, like Jesus himself. So that claim, right? Uh, I am the light of the world, and and the promise that comes with it, I will give you myself the light of life. You will never walk in darkness. It does come with uh, a command, or at at least a choice. Again, verse 12, right? He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have these things. Whoever follows me. So it's an implied command, we'll say. Because that verb, follow me, carries along with it this sense of like, this is a daily choice. It's a continual thing. It's it's not the the once and for all decision we make to follow Christ. It's the daily will I turn towards the light decision, even the momentary, moment-by-moment decision, will I turn to the light of life? See, Jesus is leaving open uh, the choice for us. Follow Him or not. It's another thing about, about light and darkness. It's, it's a binary choice, right? There is either no light and absolute darkness, or there is some degree of light. There, there's no, like, half light, half dark. It's either dark, pitch black, can't see your hand in front of your face, or there is at least some light. We carved pumpkins this week, and my daughter carved a cheetah face, her own design. It was incredible. And uh, we, we took it out to the front porch, you know, after dark, of course, to put a candle in. And she goes, Wow, it only takes one candle to light up the whole pumpkin. I said, I know, let's add five more <laughs> and make it as bright as we can. But the, the point is, it only takes one little light. And darkness has no power. One little light, and you've moved from darkness into light. That's the thing about light. You can have more or less light, but you can't have more or less dark. There's only dark and then all the different grades, gradients, gradations of light. So Jesus says choose. Choose. Light or dark? Follow me and have light or walk in darkness? Light or dark? The choice is clear. Jesus says, uh, follow me. There's only one way to to come to the light of life, and that's to follow Jesus. So uh, what do we do with a claim like this? What do we do with a Jesus who tells us, I am the transcendent light that illuminates the entirety of the cosmos. Without me, you will be in final and full and everlasting darkness. What do we do with light like that? Well, there's, of course, two different directions we could go. Superficially, one is the way of the Pharisees try to explain it away. Uh, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to need a few more witnesses to back you up. Uh, Or the other approach is to somehow respond to that light. Somehow respond to the light that Jesus is offering. So I have a few thoughts then for application if we're choosing to respond to the light rather than try to explain it away. uh, First, of course, we have to recognize that we are not the light, right? As bright as we think we are, We're not putting out any light. We are moons. We are cold, dead rocks until some other light illuminates us. We're not the light, and I know for some of us that's uh, maybe the hardest thing to admit. It is not a new problem. 1,700 years ago, the African Bishop Augustine pleaded with his congregation in a sermon. (laughs) He said, you cannot be your own light. You can't. You simply can't. We are in need of enlightenment. We are not the light ourselves. So, of course, the first step is we just have to admit we're not the light. Uh, But secondly, if if that's difficult to admit or or a struggle uh, for you, um, then I I invite you to feel the light. Begin by feeling it. You know, strong, powerful lights, they put out heat, right? Right? Before we got these LEDs up here, we had can lights that shined, shoned, shoneed down on us, shined down on us, and and there was a lot of heat coming out of that. We had to have a fan back here to blow on on the preacher because not only did we get ourselves worked up, but the lights contributed to the temperature on stage. Uh, You can feel the heat of a light, especially a strong one, whether you're looking at it, whether you see it, whether your eyes are open or not, feel the heat of the light. I, I invite you. Many of us have, have built lives on reason, rationality, proving to ourselves, promising to ourselves that we would only go where the evidence leads, that we would uh, not believe anything that we didn't get good enough evidence for. Of course, sometimes we get to that point where we have to admit that like, there are things that reason just can't seem to explain, You know, we come to a, a point in our lives where we fall in love, and we know, I mean, if there's no God, we know it's just chemicals in our brain, and yet it feels like something a whole lot more than that. Like saying chemicals bouncing around just doesn't seem to capture what I mean when I say love, or we've been, we've been wronged. And we've always held intellectually, like, of course, you know, nobody's really responsible for what they do because we're all just products of our genes and our environment. We couldn't help doing it any other way than we do. And then we're wronged, and we're like, oh, no. This feels like a whole lot more than just a product of genetic determination. Or we have some encounter with, with beauty, with a, a, a vista or an infant's face, or symphony, or a poem, and we think, wow, that was, that was just incredible light photons hitting my eyes. No, because it feels like there's so, something more there, something deeper. We get to the, the point where uh, we can't explain why it feels like these things are enchanted somehow, and, and I want you to feel that heat, because that heat is evidence of the light of Christ reaching out to you and saying, there is more, there is another light, there is a higher light that is breaking through the brass ceiling of this world and shining on you. Feel the warmth of that light and come to Jesus. Let's see how he would explain it. Third, so first was admit we're not the light. Second is you know, respond to the, the heat that you're sensing from light. The third one, uh, the third one is use the light. And I'm speaking primarily to to Christians, to, to those of you who are sure that you are you're following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus. Use the light. Make, in other words, make sense of the world by the light of who Jesus is, what He has done for you, what He is doing in you, what He has promised to do. You know, we're we're called in other places, of course, to reflect the light of Christ to the world around us. Shine like stars in the heavens, Paul writes. Uh, illuminate the world for people. Not By the way, he doesn't say, like, uh, reflect Jesus' light right into other people's eyes and blind them. He says, illuminate the world around them. Explain what you are experiencing through the lens of the gospel, through what you know to be true about Jesus. Explain why you can go through the suffering of a pandemic and a contentious election season and all the other stuff that we're going through. You can go through that suffering while knowing It's not absurd, it's not pointless, but that God has some sort of plan, and there is a meaning that is so deep that suffering can't take it away. Explain how and why you can advocate for uh, for justice, for things to be put right without yourself becoming yet another oppressor, or forcing your will on others, or being impatient to see things change, because you know… Jesus has promised I will one day set all things right. Or explain how you you can face even death itself without fear. Because of what Jesus has promised in your life. Use the light and illuminate the world around you, especially for those who cannot yet see that light themselves but can only only feel it radiating off of you. Use the light So, admit admit you're not the light, right? Respond to the heat that you're sensing. Use the light if you're a believer. But fourth, I want to say embrace the light. Now, those first three were very, I don't know, above the neck, mostly on the left side, intellectual. They were like heady things. But Jesus isn't necessarily calling us here just to say, hey, come to me and I'll give you enlightenment. I'll give you answers. I'll give you knowledge. He's saying, follow me and I'm going to shine, not just around you, but on you. He calls us to more than just information, but to transformation, right? Light is the best disinfectant. At least that's what I've been told. So Jesus says, hey, come to me, and I'm going to shine. You're going to see things about yourself that I'm going to bring to the surface. They can be dealt with. They can be taken care of. They can be transformed. They can be repented of. They can be given up. They can be walked away from. But only once we see them, only once there's light. So embrace the light, especially the cleansing power of the light in our lives. Embrace it. Embrace Jesus. Come to him for the light of life, the life that is from him and in him and with him as we walk with him. He's the light, and he invites us to follow him, saying, come with me, and you will never walk in darkness. There is no light like the light of life. So, let me wrap this up. In in John's uh, theological prelude to the whole story of Jesus, He he employs this metaphor of light and darkness again. Of course, he does it all through John 1, John 3, John 6, John 8, John 9, John 11, John 12. I mean, he brings it up over and over and over again. But in John 1, at the very beginning, he talks about Jesus, the Word, the Logos, the one who has made everything, holds everything together. And then he says, in him, Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. He says, and the light shines on in the darkness. And the darkness can't master it. The darkness cannot master the light. That means it can't overcome it. It can't overtake it. It can't even understand the light. The darkness cannot overpower, cannot put out the light. And Jesus says, when you want light, when you want to see, to be comforted, to be warmed, he says, you don't just want something to be with you. You want someone himself the light of life. So let's pray. Father, you have given us the gift of light in your Son. Not a not a lesser beacon that points the way to a greater light, but himself, the light of the world, of the cosmos, the light by which everything else is illuminated, including our hearts, our desires. Draw us to your light, we pray. Let us find comfort and warmth, security, presence, let let us be known because we are in the light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so how many of you were old enough to remember the uh, LA blackout in 94? Lost power. Yeah, I was 11. I know. I was only vaguely aware of it. But uh, something I learned this week as I was researching for this sermon is uh, during the blackout, uh, 911 got hundreds of phone calls that weren't about the lights being out or anything. It was just hundreds of people calling and saying, there is this weird silvery cloud up above. And literally, people thought aliens were invading and just wanted 911 to know. It was the Milky Way. It was the Milky Way. They'd never seen it before. The city of lights <laughs> was so bright and so close that it occluded the greatest light of all, the heavenly lights. I mean. <laughs> It struck me, of course, as humorous of like, I didn't even know there was a light up there until I realized like, oh yeah, all the little lights of this world that I'm holding right here are making it almost impossible to see the light of life. There is a light beyond that gives illumination to all of these other lights that draw us in. And that's the light that is unlike any other light. That's the light that came to us, into our darkness uh, to draw us to him. So this week, go in peace to love and serve the light.